are. Good morning, church. Can we all stand to our feet? If you're able, if you can stand to your feet. I want to read the Word of God as we're standing. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 60, and it says this, Arise and shine, for your light has come, past tense. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over the people. You know, there are levels and layers and different depths of darkness. But, Isaiah says, the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. For nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah is talking about the church. So lift up your eyes and look around you. Isaiah 61, which we're all probably so familiar with, says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness those who are prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort those who mourn and for those who grieve in desire, and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and an oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And they will rebuild ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. And they will renew the cities that have been devastated for generations. Can we just applaud the Lord for his word, his voice in print? Thank you, Lord, so much. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just help us this morning to navigate this time and honor you well as we read your scriptures and we talk and navigate through this season and listen to what you, Holy Spirit, are saying to the church at this time in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. You can grab a seat. um, You can be as as loud and interactive as you like today. Um, I I do not have COVID. I've been tested positive, but I had the sniffles this week, and Fee gave me some uh, cold and flu uh, medicine. Well, this morning, um, as I was getting ready to leave, I thought, why do I feel so tired and realized I'd taken the PM instead of the AM? So you don't have any excuse not to be loud this morning. And that's why I started Arise and Shine, for his light has already come. Church, these are exciting times to be alive. And it's really important that we know who we are as the church, as the ecclesia. And just, I just want to say, being back here these last, last Sunday and being here for Julian Adams, I was been just so provoked at how well this house is doing and how you're, well you're doing as a church. Bumping into people in the street, I bumped into the Kinnears and the Skinners yesterday and seeing ch- young children and kids that have been born and, and throwing up all over themselves and, you know, and all the challenges that come with being a young parent. And as you get older, it just becomes more fun to watch. <laughs> but, you know, this is, this is family. And we are God's people. We are a family. And there's so many challenges in the last couple of years through this worldwide pandemic. 
all the challenges that we faced individually, all the, the challenges we faced corporately, globally. Do you ever stop and wonder what would happen if we didn't have a king like Jesus? Do you ever stop and wonder how could we possibly go through that without Jesus? You know, he who has the most hope has the most influence. And the church should be glistening with hope. Arise and shine, for your light has already come. And the glory of the Lord shines upon you. For nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. I turned off the the live feed last week and I talked about a couple who will remain nameless who are in a different part of the world right now. And the scripture is Isaiah chapter 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be the chief mountain and the world will come to Zion and say, teach us your ways. Church is not something we do. It's not a place we go to. The church is a people. The Greek word is ecclesia, who've been taken out of darkness and brought into the marvelous kingdom of light. It's a marvelous kingdom where Jesus is king. And we need to recognize that we need to arise and shine for his light has already come. Do you believe that? If you keep reading in Isaiah chapter 60, after this, and of course this is, the, the, this is um, fulfilled in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus opens in the temple to this very passage of scripture, and he starts to read it, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, Isaiah was talking about me, Jesus said. And he is the head, and we are the body. So we can confidently say the spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to preach good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted. We have a message and it's us. Some people are, you know, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we were in darkness, now we're in a marvelous kingdom of light. And sometimes I think we've lost the concept and a true understanding of the kingdom of God and it just becomes about a church service on a Sunday morning. But the kingdom is bigger than the church. It's the rule of God being outworked from heaven onto earth. Wherever the will of God is done there, the kingdom of God has come. Wherever we see something restored, the kingdom of God has come. Wherever we see righteousness and justice, there the kingdom of God has come. Wherever we see restoration, there the kingdom of God has come. I'm not going to teach from this today, but Isaiah says, if you read it in verse, in cha- in verse 10, sorry, in verse chapter 3, um, after he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he lists what, what for, he says, and they will be called oaks of righteousness. They will re- rebuild ancient ruins. They will renew ruined cities. Who will? They will. Who's they? The people that got, we're anointed to reach people. It switches from the anointing being on us and they will. Who's they will? The people that we're reaching. That's good right there. 
The Spirit of the Lord is there. So when we look at people, we see them through, we can see not where they are, but how God sees them. Whether it's a nation, whether it's Taliban. To see them as God sees them, whether it's your neighbor at work, whether it's the person next door, whether it's your, your, whether a colleague that annoys you or a spouse that irritates you, start to see them as God sees them. And when they start to change, there the kingdom of God is coming. But church, I'm excited. I'm blessed every time Fee and I just came in and just seeing people, hearing Andy lead worship. Such a joy. Where is Andy? Just give it up for Andy again. So appreciate you, bud. Singing all the songs. Some of those old songs are so powerful. Some of the old hymns. But last Sunday, we just, wow, these are so rich in content. There's something about those old songs. Andy, continue to bring out the old and the new. We went to Encore this week and I sat at the back and as people just worshiping God, I just thought, wow, here we go again. There's the richness of these older songs that just speak about truth and speak about the purpose of God and speak about the destiny of God's people. Julian, as an Ephesians 4 prophet last week, painted a picture again of the kingdom of God. Not to just be wowed by the sharpness of his prophetic gift, but wowed by the awesomeness of the God that we serve. And wowed by the awesomeness of the great task and job that we have as the ecclesia to see his kingdom come right here on earth as it is in heaven. Where's Robin and Sue Henderson? Can you guys stand? Where are you both? Can you stand? Just want to appreciate you. I love these two so much. Do such a great job. We were at Kickstart this week, and, and uh, Rob, Robin said to me, he said, uh, now, Dan, we, we'd like you to come to um, Encore, but um, maybe if, uh, well, if, if he could maybe say something, and you could, um, well, maybe if, if she did, if she could. And then Sue goes, what he's saying is, Dan, shut up. <laughs> I love that. That's so, <laughs> where's Sue? She's run away now. I love her. She's great. I love the, the honor that there is in this house for his presence. This house has never been built around a personality, a program, a performance, but it's built around his presence. And it will continue to do so. We're going to honor him and his presence. So appreciate Tony and Julie. Where are you, Tony and Julie? Just thank you so much, guys, for what you do at Kickstart. Oh, Helen, I don't know if Helen Lotwick is here today, um, or Helen, if you're watching online, but just sitting with the trustees meeting this week, and just when Helen speaks, it's just like an alignment to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus in the midst of everything. I'm only mentioning these people because these are the meetings I've had the privilege of sitting in, but this house is full of so many pillars and so many great leaders. Emma Broom, is Emma here? She's out, with, she's out with the teens. Just such a joy to spend time with her and, and see what she's doing. Seeing her bouncy, lovely face just beaming as she goes around. Paul and Jenny and uh, spending time with the board of trustees and Simon. And you have a tremendous board of trustees here. They are, they are strong. They are powerful. And uh, they have protected this house and just done a tremendous job. 
It's exciting to see how the church here is affecting the city and people's hearts are to reach every area of society. I'm not really going to preach today. Um, I just want to share my heart and just, just make some comments and bring some clarity some, to some things. But if you can, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, you can turn there on your iPad. Anybody have a real Bible still? Come on. We want to hear those pages swish. Fee needs glasses. It's a weird thing when you realize you're getting older. My son Judah the other day came out of his room and he was wearing literally decorating clothes that I owned when I lived here in Bath. And I said, son, what are you wearing? He goes, dad, these are sick. I just found them in your closet. And then he went to the meeting wearing them. They were like oversized baggy clothes, literally overalls that were ripped I went, what is going on? That is not cool. He goes, Dad, you're not cool. This is trendy now. I said, no, it isn't. He said, yes, it is. Honestly, I don't know what's going on. I just think I've got to that place where like, maybe it's me. I don't think so. Those clothes do not fit you. But anyway, that wasn't in my notes. This is this great passage of scripture here where Jesus is in a dialogue with the disciples and he asked the question, who do the people say I am? And they responded and said, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And Jesus looks to Peter and he says, Peter, what about you? Who do you say I am? You can look up and follow me in your text. And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the risen God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. For this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And on this rock, I will build my church. That's the first mention of the word church there in the New Testament. The word ecclesia. And Jesus said these powerful words, I will build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Everyone say gates. The gates of hell will not prevail, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, I, I, I'm just going to jump really quickly because I think this is important, but I also don't really want to go there today. I'm going to just touch and go, touch and go, rather than stay on one thing. But I'll just say this. Peter then, as we know, denied that he ever even knew the Christ, that he ever even knew him. And 50 days later, he's asked to preach at Pentecost, the beginning of the church. Doesn't that speak of a God of restoration? That even when we royally mess up, that he restores us. And Peter's there at Pentecost, and it starts in Acts chapter 2, and there was the blowing of a violent rushing wind, and it came and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and people from every nation under the earth heard them speaking in their own language the mysteries and wonders of God, and some, however, said they're drunk. Peter stands up and he gets the microphone and he says, 
People of Jerusalem, listen carefully to me. Let me explain this to you. These men are not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what Joel prophesied about. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he begins to preach this message. And right the way, Acts through Acts chapter 2, and you read it, he uses the Old Testament to build his case. And at the end, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, when the people says they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what must we do to be saved? Peter pulls out his keys. The keys that Jesus gave him. And he said, number one, you need to repent, which means to change your mind. Number two, be baptized in water, which is an outward expression of an inward reality to bury the old and come up into the new. And the third was to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which he says this is for you and for your children's children and for all who are far off. They were the keys to the kingdom and that day they were added into the church. The kingdom is bigger than the church. There's so much here, but that's how we get into the kingdom of God. The church is the ecclesia, the vehicle to extend the kingdom. And really, when we're in the kingdom, we've got to decide what expression and which congregation best helps us fulfill the gifting and callings that God has put in each one of us. But it's the gates of hell will not prevail. I want to end in a moment talking about gates, and I want to pray for us before we leave. But there's a few things I just want to bring clarity to. And here's the first On April the 24th, which is about two months' time, um, my parents um, will be joining us for that weekend. And along with other leaders from around the world who are going to fly in, we're going to commission, lay hands on, and set Jonathan and Ruth Horsfall into this house to lead you forward. Amen. Some of you may feel, well, I thought that was already happening. It is. What we're doing is recognize, recognizing what's already happening. But there is, there is something that happens through the laying on of hands where there'll be a transfer of anointing onto them both for the task that is ahead. Because the greatest days for this house are ahead of us. The greatest days. This church has a tremendous destiny. It was not planted by man. It was planted by God. It has a prophetic seed. And because of the seed that's in the ground here, no, no, no enemy from hell can actually stop it from growing. And that's why it's gone through so many difficult, hard seasons, but it just keeps springing up and bearing fruit because it cannot be uprooted because God himself planted it. Secondly, I want to talk about um, oversight. And some of you may be familiar with this term and others of you may not. I apologize that I don't have a clever... um, Uh, PowerPoint today and listing what these things are, Um, but maybe in April we'll be able to do that so it's really, really clear and you can see it on a screen like an org chart, which I know means a lot to some people. But we, over these last few years, had what we called eagles in the sky, and they were set in place to oversee the church, not here every day on the ground, but set 
in the sky to watch over the church. And one of those people was Mike and Beryl Godwood. And many of you know that Mike went on to be with the Lord a few months ago. And I want to tell you this, and I've never said this publicly, but I got on a plane and I flew through the night, rented a car, didn't come to Bath, just went straight to Mike and Beryl's house and sat with him. And over the course of those weeks where his body was beginning to shut down, I said, Mike, we need to set another eagle in the sky. And I said, this is what I believe is right. And I want to know what you think and give you time to think about it. But I believe that God is restoring back to Life Church Bath fathers, and by that I mean apostolic fathers, apostolic mothers, to watch over the house. So that where the enemy historically has tried to come in, in, area, in times of transition, when the, when the church is, is vulnerable, they will have the legal and spiritual right to come in and land. And church, I said, Mike, I would like those, that couple to be Paul and Sue Wakely. And so, Mike looked at me, and I thought, I don't quite know what he's thinking. And then with tears in his eyes, he said one word, beautiful. That's beautiful. God is a God of restoration. So on the 24th of April, also we will recognize Paul and Sue to join the other spiritual eagles in the sky, Peter and Barbie Reynolds, in that place of oversight for this church. Very quickly, there are seven things that they will oversee and protect. Number one is doctrine. To make sure this church doesn't go into heresy. Number two is disputes that cannot be resolved. They'll come and land. Division. Die vision. Die means two. Two visions. Where there's division, the actual meaning of the word is when there are two visions. Number three is deception. Spiritual attack. Number four is Disaccreditation, a moral failure. Number six is death of a leader or a decision maker. And number seven is danger. If the church is in a place of unforeseen danger, like, for example, the pandemic. During that time, the leaders on a Zoom call, I said it would be wrong for me from another, from a, from another country to try and navigate this ship, if you like, through troubled waters, foreseeing ahead what was good, the pandemic could look like, to try and captain the ship here. Jonathan and Ruth had already arrived, and if you were at the Family Matters meeting, I shared this and explained this. But it was at that time that we asked them to take the wheel of the ship so there was someone on the ground. God's very clever. 
because they did such an amazing job navigating you through that storm, right to the out to, through to the other side. I'm nearly done. I, just, for, just for clarity, um, and we'll do this more, but just in case you're wondering, who are they? Who's Jonathan and Ruth? Uh, who's Paul and Sue? Paul and Sue, can you stand? Where are you? Everybody, this is Paul and Sue Wakeley. Paul and Sue live here in Bath and if you don't know them um, you're going to love them because they are true spiritual parents not only to this house but to other people around the world in other countries and it's a privilege and an honor to have them here but just for clarity's sake don't go and ask Paul and Sue which home group I should be in because they don't know that. Those seven things are really clear. <laughs> and so they're eagles in the sky. So you may not see them. They have responsibilities outside of the church. They have responsibilities here in the city. But I just want you all to know they're there in the sky. Watching out for you. All right. Does everyone know who Jonathan and Ruth are? <laughs> Where's Jonathan and Ruth? Can you stand up, Jonathan and Ruth? Just in case you were wondering. I don't know what he's talking about. Um, okay got a little bit of time I I, I don't think I've ever told this story certainly not publicly and certainly not recorded um, because it's about me it's about a personal journey Um, so I'm taking a risk today um, with two nighttime cold and flu tablets in my body. I'm going to do the best I can. But in about 2009, um, Fee and I traveled to California with a couple named Ian and Marge Russell. Ian and Marge um, are very much a part of the history of our, of our churches going way back when um, they are just amazing, again, like spiritual parents to, to many people. And we didn't know them that well, and we'd spent some time with them, and we were sitting in a restaurant, and they pulled out a two-pound coin and pushed it across the table. And I said, thank you very much. And he said, I want you to read, the side, the, read it. So Fee and I held it together, and it said, standing on the shoulders of giants. We're like, okay, cool. Well, What does that mean? Is there a prophetic word? And he said, Dan and Fee, please listen carefully to these words. We believe you have an apostolic call on your life. Now, the way I understand apostolic, I'm like, cool. Apostles create an apostolic people. Like prophets create and cultivate a prophetic people. Evangelists, an evangelistic people. Pastors, a pastoral people. Teachers, a people that can teach. So I said, oh, that's cool. And uh, I said, can I keep the two pounds then? (laughs) And he looked at me and he said, no, 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 no. I believe you are called to be an apostle. And as soon as he said it, I put my finger on the two pound coin and I pushed it back across the table. And I said, I don't want that. He looked a little stunned. I said, I'll keep the two quid, but that, 
<laughs> I don't. And he said, why? I said, because everything I know about that word and every, every experience I've had seeing that in operation, I not only do I not like, but I don't want to be that or become that. And he was a little stunned. He said, okay. He said, well, then I would just ask that like Mary, you store it in your heart. I said, I can do that. A year went by and he came back and brought the subject up again. And I said the same thing. I'm just not interested. God's never said that, that, said that to me. I've, never, I've heard this all my life about being apostolic. But what you're saying to me, I just don't want that. I want to lead a church, have my friends, and just have a nice life. Okay? The next time was about six months later, and he brought my parents with him. And we were sitting in the backyard, and I could realize after a while this was more of an intervention than, you know, having dinner together. And my mum started to go, now you listen. When you were a little boy, I'm like, okay. And I just said, listen, I don't want this. I don't like this. It's a huge amount of pressure for me. And so in the end, I said, please, just, I, I, I don't want this. And Ian and Marge were flying back to England the next day. And they, the, for early in the morning, he woke up and he said, Dad, I want to see you. And he gave me a little post-it, which he, had, which he had writing on it. And he said, God woke me in the night and I wrote this down for you. And it says this, it says, Dan, you're not to live in reaction to what an apostle is not, but in the fullness of what one truly is. And I said, okay, so what, what then is an apostle? He said, an apostle is someone who is sent by God to change a culture. I said, oh. I said, keep going. He said, the word apolosto means sent one. And Jesus called the apostles apostles because in that culture, they knew that if a king had taken over a region or a city or an area, the king would send an apostle on the first ship, full of, full of all the tradesmen, the goldsmiths, the, the marble guys, the woodworkers, the electricians, probably not electricians, but all, everything was needed. And watch this, he would send the apostle to arrive in that area or region that had been taken over, and his job was to make it look like royalty to make it look like the culture of the king. Why? So when the king arrived there, it would look like the kingdom. Like Bath, for example. So that it would look like Rome. That's where the word apostle came from. And they knew this. So when he sent out apostles, he was sending them out into the world to establish heaven on earth, to establish the culture of the king. And so eventually I said this, if that's what it means, and not control and authority and heavy handedness and hierarchy, and it doesn't mean all of those things, which I hate, then I'll do that. And they said, good. So the next year, a team of people came out to the States and they laid hands on us and set me in into that, that task with fee. And funny enough, within weeks, people started asking for help. 
And I was like, oh yeah, sure. And I realized there was a grace to do that. It was shortly after that that we moved to Bath. And if you remember, if you were here in 2015, 16, the first year was all about what? Culture. And it didn't come from a book. It just came from an overflow of what are the principles of the king? And the only reason I'm telling you this, the only reason is I've been asked why I've been here. So what are you going to do now? I'm going to do the very thing that I was graced to do, that I came here to do and continue to be an apostle to this house to make sure that the culture of heaven continues to come to become that culture here in this church. That's it. My job isn't to lord it over, to be controlling, but it's to set things in place and to see what does this house need? And a few weeks ago, it, was, it needs a prophet. Not to wow everybody by the gift, but to wow everyone to the king. Who will paint like a picture of the kingdom of God, which Julian did. To recognize that God is re-restoring fathers and mothers and apostolic couples like Paul and Sue back into this house. That this is, a, this is a church of multiple generations. He's not the God of the next generation. He's the God of every generation. I'm going to read this. And then I'm going to start to close. What time is it anyway? That clock stopped. Oh, I see it. Okay. This was actually written. I read this many years ago. I want to five children. I have a brother and sister older and a brother and sister younger. Is my older sister Sarah here? Okay. Well, this was written by, to, from my parents to us um, 22 years ago. And it says, Dear David, Sarah, Daniel, Fee, Susie, and Jonathan. Then they quote James chapter 1. And it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you can become mature and complete and lack nothing. That's why we have the testing of our faith, so that we can become mature and complete and lack nothing, James says. He's building a temple worthy of Almighty God, creator of the universe, made up of ordinary human beings, not super saints, but nothings and nobodies that are his somebodies. We're reminded again that building sites are messy places, but the architect who has the blueprint puts up with all the mess and all the inconsistencies because he can see the finished product. The builders, plumbers, carpenters, electricians, and brickies just have to get on with their bit and let the master builder fit them in with everyone else. When we can't see what the master builder is doing in a particular room and why the electrician is holding up the plasterer from doing his bit, it can be so frustrating. It's tempting then to move on to a different part of the house, which doesn't appear to be in such a mess, and we think we could get our bit done better there but the whole house has got to be built and none of it is finished yet so every part of the house is subject to change and upheaval holdups and frustrations 
But in order to finish the house, ready for Jesus' return, God needs a workforce who will find out where they can best be of use to him, not where they would necessarily choose. Stick at the job, not complain about those they're working alongside, and get the job done. We know that all of each of you desires that, that this, and each of you in different ways has counted the cost and submitted to where you can serve him best. It's not been easy, but in due season, we will see a house built if we don't give up a magnificent house fit for the King of Kings. That was written 22 years ago in church. He is building his house. The first mention of church, as I read earlier in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church. It's his church. And when I listen sometimes around different parts of the world at the church and things that people say, we want to deconstruct the church. I'm like, I'm not sure you get to do that. Jesus said he will build it. And he builds it his way according to his pattern. Well, I don't want to go to church anymore. God's done with that. What? Well, God's doing something new in the world. And when I really push why, it's like, so what I hear you saying is, he's just reshuffling the chairs, or he doesn't want to sit on chairs anymore, or he just wants us to meet in homes and not in a big building. As Julian said in the seminar, in Jerusalem, the rooms, the houses that the early church would have met in, we're about 120 to 150 in size. That's how many people you could get in. And so I just want to just gently challenge us not to get caught in the silliness of silly things. Someone said to me the other day, well, I don't believe in organized religion anymore. I thought, no, neither do I. Well, I don't want to just sit on the green seats. Green seats? I don't know what they were talking about. Well, yeah, the green seats. I'm like, would you like us to paint them yellow? What? What's going on? Some of the <laughs> Hebrews says, don't neglect the gathering of the saints, but meet all the more as the day approaches. But when you come, let's come ready to hear God. We're so blessed with a facility that will facilitate a massive vision. It's, of course, it's not about a building. We never serve buildings. Buildings serve us. But I want to gently challenge us to be careful with our verbiage. Well, I don't, I don't want to go to church anymore on a Sunday morning. Then don't come. But I don't believe it. I don't believe it anymore. Then don't, don't come. But really what you're saying is I don't want to fellowship with other people for two hours a week. I don't want to hear the prophetic word with everybody else. I don't want to worship. Or, oh, and this is not, not you lot. This is people who aren't here today. But people who... who I, I don't like the worship. It, it's like someone said that to John Wimber once. He says, that's all right. It wasn't for you anyway. <laughs> Ooh. We start scoring worship. I didn't like that. Just worship God. Shut up. Too much? Maybe you're worshiping you. It's a wonderful thing to worship God. We live in a nation where we're allowed to, without being tortured or hiding. Get to worship the king, lift up his voice corporately for a few moments. 
to hear the word of God, to be provoked. I don't believe in that anymore. Okay. I could go deeper, but I'm going to just. And the gates of hell, everyone say gates, and I'm going to close. Gates. Gates guard. Here's an acronym, ready? G-A-T-E-S. I'm going to go really quite quick. Gates guard. That's what gates do. They guard. And you know what? I don't have time to unpack this, but when the Bible talks about gates, the Bible is talking about people with authority. Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and let the King of glory come in. I just want to suggest to us that even today, as we started, arise and shine for your light has come, that if today in a moment we're going to stand, that we learn again to lift up our heads. That we don't, because the, the, what the enemy wants to do is, is cause shame to come on us, to cause disgrace. But he, the Bible says, is the lifter up, uh, the lifter of our head. Gates of people with authority. What you feed on will flow over everything you have authority over. That's why gates, the elders sat at the city gates to watch what came in. Church, I don't have time to go through this, but I'll just say, watch what you feed on. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. We are authority in this city. God has given us authority to serve the city. But this is a time for us to, to lift up our heads, to have clean hands and a pure heart. A is for authority. Luke 10, 19, Jesus says, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Watch this. The enemy has power, but he does not have authority. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. We need to walk in our authority. To walk in our authority. He is the lifter of our heads. We are gates. The gates of hell will not prevail. Why? Because the gates of the ecclesia are pushing them back. But we cannot back down. We've got to lift up our heads. We've got to arise and shine. Realize that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me. And he's anointed you into the world for this time. T is for transition. I will, you know, a gate is a place of transition. You have a gate that goes, goes into your back garden. It's a place of transition. We are gates. We are, we are to watch what transitions in and out. Psalm 100 says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Can I encourage you to come with thanksgiving, to come in momentum, not to come here to get an impetus, not to come on a Sunday morning when we worship. I just love the way Tim led today. Let's fill this whole room. Let's fill this whole room with praise. Let's fill this room with praise. E is for empowerment. Oh, I can stay here for 20 minutes. Gates are a place of empowerment. They're to empower what goes into that city, to empower that which we have authority over. To release his goodness. You know, I, I, I equally believe that the, the seven mountain mandate is, is correct and is challenging to a point, but it's always to serve, never to be the top of the mountain that says, now we're in charge. Joseph served Pharaoh. Daniel served King Nebuchadnezzar. So important as we serve the city in every area with a servant's heart like Jesus did that the gates begin to stand. A number, and, and the last one is S, which is for stand. 
Just gates stand. Gates stand up. And I just, uh, as the musicians begin to, put, to, to play in just a moment, I'm going to ask us to stand. And I want to pray for something specifically, if we can. And it's, it's if you've gone through this last few years, and you hear heads being lifted up and standing up, and you feel discouraged, you feel beaten down, I just believe God wants to lift up your head today. Some, as we were in worship, I thought there's some whose heads are low. There's shame. You know you've done something wrong. He's the lifter of your head. Shame is a killer. And the enemy says, shame on you. And God says, shame off you. For our shame, Isaiah 61 says, he's given us a double portion. James, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Some of you are disappointed with God. Some of you are angry. Can I just remind us that God is God? A man named Mike Bickle said, God will always be your friend, but he'll never be your buddy. People saw we've been having a chat with God. We're not talking right now. It's like, you know he's God, right? The wonderful thing about God is 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us for all unrighteousness. So if you're able to, I just, I want you to just sit for a moment. And I want you to consider What's caused me to sit down? Because the Bible says arise and shine. What's caused me to not stand up? And as soon as you know that, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet. And Andy's going to lead us in, in this song. And right across this room, as we stand, that we stand together in his presence. Could be an attitude. Just had a bad attitude. I think I'm right. You know, sometimes if we exercise our right to be right, it makes us wrong. Just say, God, here I am. Thank you for loving me. Please heal this heart. Heal my disappointment. I believe the Holy Spirit just wants to flood right through this whole place as we stand to our feet. So just sit along. It doesn't bother me how long we sit. But when you're ready, just stand to your feet. Let's worship together. Fill this room and say, God, I'm going to stand. You're the lifter of my head. I'm going to rise and shine. You've messed up as a dad. You've messed up as a husband or a wife. Maybe it's you know that what you've been feeding off has flooded that which you have authority over. 
And the enemy just keeps lying to you, pushing you down in shame, saying shame on you. To God, today God says, hey, that's why I died on the cross. That's why I paid it for you. Just say this, Jesus, will you forgive me? It's just, you know, he doesn't want to embarrass you. Shame off you, Jesus' name. Shame off you, Jesus' name. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to your light. You say, how? It's happening. All creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It's interesting, it doesn't say slaves. It doesn't say sinners. For the sons, those who are living in the marvelous kingdom of light. Jesus. The Bible talks about pearly gates pearly gates and you know gates gates sorry pearls are formed through irritation but I'm just irritated good God's not only making you a gate he's making you beautiful he's making you beautiful right where you are and just lift your hands to the Lord just say here I am all of me don't worry about your kids just yet he's got a few more minutes don't worry about the person next to you or the roast that's in the slow cooker 